Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. He won the title winning 32 games and drawing six. I don't give a fuck what league it was in. <laughs> This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. That morning sky gave me a look. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. My ma always told me to never give in to peer pressure. I'd like to think that what she was implying there was never give in to peer pressure. Unless it was a lot of pressure. And so after five losses, the last to Southampton, we're not going over it again, but just think of that, the last of it was to Southampton. Remember that night? We thought we'd park it. It's best for everyone if we all just take a break, enjoy two weeks away from Villa. But there's only so many times you can ignore a request for a podcast. <laughs> I'm like, if Villa Twitter is one thing, Villa Twitter combined with Liverpool Twitter is too much to handle and it's too much to ignore so well done you've won here we are Liam how are you enjoying your two-week break away from Villa (laughs) yeah I was so relieved when the international break rolled around so happy it came at such a good time and then all I've had since is Dean Smith being sacked the fairy tale (laughs) ending and you asking me every other fucking day to do a podcast (laughs) I am just the fucking messenger. I was just relaying what everybody else was saying. Anyway, you've just mentioned it. Dean Smith is gone. We're going to talk loads about Steven Gerrard. Um, and we're going to give him the best villa welcome we can by introducing him to WhatsApp Winges. So that's coming up next. But uh, just just a word on Dean Smith. It was probably a shock in the end to him and to everybody, even though it was going badly. I actually wasn't really expecting him to be fired. I thought like if they... They lasted that long. They just hold out a little bit longer and see how it goes and credit in the bank and blah, blah, blah. We don't need to get into an argument of whether whether or not they should have been sacked. My thoughts on it are, and I don't want to write Gerard off before we start. And like I say, we're going to talk loads about Gerard. But I thought 
this is my initial thoughts when I saw Smith being sacked and Gerrard being the number one candidate. I thought if they were going to get rid of Smith, they would have had a ready-made, foolproof plan in place. You know what? Now, you and I, like, we, we both really love what Smith did for Villa, obviously, and it was year on year, and like, we really appreciated what he was trying to do when it wasn't going well, even though we, we winged a lot, but like, we knew what he was what he was about and, and where he was trying to take us. But I think as sad as you are for him, and like, to be honest, I'm sad for the vision that he had as well. It's, it's difficult. It's very hard to, to keep putting up a case when the, when the results aren't going well for a sustained period, and like I don't think we were in danger of relegation realistically. Although, <laughs> I suppose at some point you have to start averaging more than a point a game, and like you know, Villa I think as a club just want clear evidence that their project that they've invested in and that they believe in is going to keep progressing. And I think this season and probably more pertinently, and I know Christian Perso mentioned it this year, this calendar year. It looked like it was going to be a real struggle just to match last season. And I do think, and it goes back to what I was worried about all last year. I couldn't even enjoy last year when it was going well. But I think when you when you have players like Kanza and Martinez and Watkins and even McGinn, and whenever you have big ambitions like Villa do, I just don't think you want to be regressing from 11th place. Hmm. And yeah, first off, like Aston Villa haven't won since I claimed that Dean Smith was a risk taker, that he was a fan of roller coasters. Like, <laughs> Don't laugh. I mean, you have to remember that as, as that roller coaster was getting chugged to the top of the hill by hammering and Everton and winning at Old Trafford, it was only going to go one place after that. It's plummeting back to earth and careering out of control before the absolutely anticlimactic end in the form of a much improved second half showing in defeat oh. to Southampton. But like results have been nowhere near good enough since we since we lost Grealish to injury initially and to City eventually and Dean Smith's decision, and I think it was an understandable decision to go all in on Grealish, and the incredibly successful decision, even I would say it was, like we had 1.8 points per game, they had to qualify for Europe most seasons, and we were pushing, bit of a wobble around December for that, until his biscuit chins were just dunked in a cup of tea in February, but <laughs> building a team almost exclusively around Grealish's talent meant that we were, we were walking over an air vent with a skirt on, and it was... I'm only a matter of time before Smith was exposed. <laughs> but once his wee pace, the arse was out, and you've touched on it there, I, when we were just confronted with that nose deep in his arse, I think we had to reevaluate our place in the world. I'm not saying Smith should have kept his job. A point a game from February will fuck anyone. Yeah. But there was always going to be regression this year. I think it was really disappointing to hear Purcell say we didn't show the continuous improvement year on year because... I think that would make you worry about his understanding of football. We have signed three players, but we lost Jack Release for fuck's sake. And only one of those players can take his position on the pitch. And Buendia, Watkins, Bailey is so far below Grealish, Watkins and Drury, it's not funny. Like we needed those three lads that we signed, but we needed a midfielder or two, a left-back, and we needed Grealish to stay to have any chance of improving. And when I say improving, I mean moving out from the from the six teams that won't get relegated and won't challenge for Europe. I mean, being a team that's competitive for Europe every year. I mean, wherever wherever Villa finished after February last year was largely irrelevant because they were finishing 9th to 14th and not competing and not struggling. So who cares? Finishing the top half doesn't mean anything. I've said this before. 
all that it means is finishing at the top of the non-entities. And do you know what the top of nothing is? It's fucking nothing. Who gives a fuck about finishing the top half? Like New- Newcastle finished 12th. It doesn't mean anything. They were the yeah. next most likely team to be relegated last year. United finished second. An improvement from third place. Was it fuck? They didn't compete for the title either year. Second, third and fourth. It shouldn't have mattered to their fans. And we're seeing this year why it shouldn't have. I mean, the talk of pushing for Europe is absolute bollocks with this squad. It's nonsense. Like I've said a thousand times. And that's why the way Purcell was talking about continuous improvement. I, I hope for Gerard's sake it was it was either clumsy clumsy phrasing or just reaching for a justification. A justification he didn't need. I mean, a point a game for a full year was enough because the squad is better than that. Yeah. That's, the, that's the real good news for a Gerard. The players are better than what they were showing, so he can have an instant impact if you ignore the fixture list. But the bad news for Gerard is that Purcell might be a psychopath. <laughs> You're right. Like, it, it, look, I think whatever way you slice it, whatever Perso said, like Smith would have been in trouble anyway. What you're saying since February, like it was enough to put anybody under pressure. Um, I think, and again, I don't think this would have theoretically saved his job. I think maybe he should have had more frank conversations in the summer, um, even with the investments that they were making with Grealish's, um, Grealish's money. Like we we said all along, like those players needed to be bought. Anyway, if we were keeping Grealish, so I always, even when we were buying those players, and I know Wings came in after Grealish, I assumed that, you know, we were we were adding those on to Jack Grealish, and I just didn't think we were losing Jack Grealish that summer. And, and you know, and sometimes, like, I think a manager gets a, a pass for stuff like this. I don't think they necessarily should sometimes. I think your, your, your question there, well, the person who knows that much about football, the manager is the person who knows the most about football in the club, especially out of any decision makers. And, like I, I always level this at Solskjaer because one of the things that he gets excused for is is the board spending. So even though Ed Woodward and whoever else is spending a lot of money to try and help Solskjaer, it's often it's often batted away as stupid money. So even though they spent eighty million on Harry Maguire for Solskjaer, it's like, well, they spent eighty million on Harry Maguire. How stupid are they? And if I was Solskjaer, I would have been all along saying. Hang on, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I want Harry Maguire, but, but not for eighty million. Is, is, is that going to affect my next transfer? Because let's let's slow down, let's pump the brakes if so. And I think that's what a, that's what a manager should be doing a bit more and being a bit more involved in those talks and, and yeah, just, just laying it out like in black and white for the decision makers above him. Yeah, and you're probably right. Smith should have probably been stronger about that. He should have demanded that they go and get. A midfielder because that was so galling all of last year and continued to be this year. And luckily now we've got Steven Gerrard and his player manager, I assume, and uh, <laughs> he'll instantly improve our fucking midfield. <laughs> it's actually so annoying. I keep looking at pictures of him holding up the jersey, and it looks great. But <laughs> every so often, I'm reminded that like actually this isn't FIFA and he's not playing for us. Like you know. He's, <laughs> He doesn't look that old. Like he looks like he still could play. <laughs> and Jesus, when he sees us playing, he'll think the same as well. <laughs> but um, but yeah, look, that, that's not a a justification. I think even if Smith had laid that stuff out, he would have been in trouble anyway. Um, but I suppose like he goes with the best wishes. He's already got the Norwich job. I'd say I mentioned this at the top. He was probably shocked at being sacked. Um, I'd say he had loads of energy probably a bit hurt 
loads of ideas and he wants to just funnel that straight into another team. It's unfortunate for him that it's Norwich. <laughs> and uh, it's going to be a tough job for him. Oh, it is, absolutely. But, like, but yeah, like Dean Smith goes with everybody's best wishes, I think. I mean, a lot of people think he was there for too long at the end, but I mean, the 10-game one run to get us into the playoffs, winning those playoffs, the post-lockdown toughness and solidity that we had, the fact that he beat the shit out of the Hawkeye operator and locked them in a broom closet for the first half of the Sheffield United <laughs> game, getting to a cup final and making a game of it in the second half against a team that was so far above us, it's laughable. And then how good we were for the first 14 or 15 games last season is some of my favourite months as a football fan. And the fairy tale of having the quality of football produced by a local manager and a local captain was magical. It was brilliant. And like honestly, it won't be forgotten, especially considering how close Villa came to the abyss. And I know the new owners, obviously, we're very thankful to them, or we should be. We should owe them a lot of gratitude for coming in. But... Smith was the one who dragged that project forward. He was the one who came into a team who were 15th in the championship. You mentioned the playoffs, won the playoffs. Like a, one of the best days for Villa, considering what was on the line. Like you, know, you don't win that game, you lose Grealish, you lose half your team. Um, and Villa were already, we laid it out in a couple of podcasts ago, like Villa were already in a bad shape considering how many loan signings they had. Kept us up when we were eight points behind with four games to go. That cup final, like we battered Man City. I know we were behind and they were just trying to see it out, but we battered Man City with Ali Samata starting. <laughs> like that's like honestly, like that's probably the highlight of Dean Smith's career at Aston Villa. And yeah, like you mentioned the points per game with Grealish. I think we would have been top six with him. Like last year alone, we beat we beat Liverpool beat Arsenal, beat Spurs, beat Chelsea, beat United this year. Like Dean Smith has given us some unbelievable memories off the back of some of the lowest times any modern Villa fan has ever experienced. And like we really do thank him. And that is why I put together this little moving piece just to express our thanks to Dean Smith and to let him know that we'll never forget him. Dean Smith is a brilliant manager who gets the best out of this incredibly limited squad. Great to see the away fans stay afterwards and the volume of Dino, Dino, Dino ringing around. This is what happens when a well-coached team plays an uncoached team. It's a fucking joy to watch. Joy to watch. I think Dean Smith did a brilliant job. Brilliant job. To actually take him back to the Premier League. And it is such high risk, high risk, high risk. But that's okay. okay. That is what life is all about. Yeah. Risk taking is where you find the joy in life. And Dean Smith is a roller coaster fan. Dean Smith, Smith, Smith has never, never met a woman that he fancied and didn't tell her. He was the first across that void, that parted sea, the divide between the boys and the girls in the school disco. And Solskjaer's just in the fucking corner getting the wedgied. Corner getting the wedgied. Leaving Aston Villa out of Wembley. Leaving Aston Villa out of Wembley. 
Villa are in a good place right now. Right. You know, I've had so many people say to me it's the best day they've ever had in their lives. So. The king is dead. Long live the king. And the new king is Stephen Gerrard. So we're going to do WhatsApp whinges to welcome him to Aston Villa. But these are more WhatsApp whinges debunked. So things that you would have heard along the way about Stephen Gerrard. Things that people are worried about. They're not necessarily our WhatsApp whinges. But if you dipped into the depths of our souls or the depths of our anxiety, you might find some of these truths in there. Um, so number one. What's the point? It's just going to go to Liverpool in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> Straight away, I've got something to say about that. If Steven Gerrard is at a standard to go to a top four club in the world in 2024, I think he's done well at Aston Villa and we're in a good place. Exactly. I mean, is that necessarily a bad thing? We have a manager determined to prove that he's good enough to take over from the best manager in the world. <laughs> Like, <laughs> someone who wants to build up enough credit that he can walk into the changing room of one of the best teams in Europe and say, I'm now your leader. Like, fucking, yeah, that's fine by me. <laughs> and that's the thing, like, like, well, number one, like, St- St- Steven Gerrard doesn't need to take the Liverpool job in 2024. There are going to be other opportunities to take. He's 41 years of age. Like he's going to be managing probably at least for the next 20 years. It doesn't have to be in two and a half years' time or he's missed the boat. Like, and I know I know it's a sort of, there's a bit of romance, obviously, from it from a Liverpool point of view. And there's a lot of trepidation with Klopp leaving, if, if Klopp does leave then, which it looks like he will. So you want the right man to come in and you know, Gerrard's making good moves at the minute and you want him to be the right man. You don't want to bounce into a manager that doesn't exactly work out and then you have to fire him after a year or seven months to make it even worse. Um, so if Gerard was in any way a top manager at that stage, like that's obviously why you want him in. But he, does, like, he doesn't need to go right now. And the only thing I would say, well, not the only thing, actually, one big thing I would say from an Aston Villa point of view is that Steven Gerrard theoretically could have coasted largely up in Rangers, won a few more trophies, done a good job up there, continued the good job he was doing, and he he would have probably been favoured to get the job in 2024. But he's really backed himself. Now, I, I, I don't think for one second he's actually targeting 2024. I think he's, he's mature enough to know that, well, A, it's a long career and, and anything can happen in football, and I think he actually sees something that he could do at Aston Villa. And he's backed himself to come down here and, and do something with Villa and like let's be honest if Steven Gerrard comes 14th for Villa and then 13th for whatever his stock is lower like it's, he's not exactly going to be the front runner for the Liverpool job like after that but if he had done it in Rangers and just stayed there and doing what he was doing then I think people would have grabbed him or bit, bit his hand off to take the job and yeah, maybe he's mature enough as well to know that it's not necessarily a good idea to go straight in after an iconic manager. Well, yes, actually, yeah, you're so right. I think he wants to be the best manager he can be as well before he does do that. Yeah, and he, he might even do it. He might let someone else go up there and flop. He might let David Moyes, after his West Ham renaissance, take the Liverpool job and take them to seventh place. And then <laughs> he'll come in and resurrect Liverpool. <laughs> But I do love that he's putting his own balls on the line, like you have to do it. It's, it's an easy, it's a harder, 
it's a harder job and like success is going to be harder to be found. And like, we're talking about Christian Purcell in the first part. Steven Gerrard is happy. Not going to say put his reputation on the line, but he is putting himself out there now to be to be got at. And I love that he's bringing that jeopardy to this role. Shows how much he's invested in it. Well, like, he knows that Aston Villa is a big club as well. And he knows the ambition of the owners. He knows the owners are the fourth or fifth richest owners in the league. And he knows that if he gets Aston Villa into seventh place and gets them into the Europa Conference, that will be considered a big success. And that is more than achievable. Second WhatsApp whinge. He's leaving Rangers for Villa. <laughs> Fuck me. Like, you know, this, this idea that Rangers are a bigger club than Villa. Like, we, we have to stop pretending this stuff. Like, we're all happy to go along and, and, and talk about what big clubs and iconic clubs these, these Glasgow clubs are. But, like, let's get real. I thought the Brandon Rogers going to Leicester thing when, when Celtic, who, were, who are a bigger club than Rangers and way more successful and a way better team in a way better place. When Rogers left there to go to Leicester, I think that sort of put pay to that. And the big thing I thought would be smacking people over the face, and even Rangers fans would notice themselves if they stop for a second to think about it and stop trying to create a, a charade that they actually are as big a club as Aston Villa, bigger as they say in a bigger league. Would any Villa player leave to go to Rangers? Yeah, like of course they wouldn't, but let, you know, let's let's get real. No big club has a picture of the queen on the wall. <laughs> like, no, no self-respecting club company, man, woman, or child reveres a woman whose position as the most privileged person in the country is an accident of birth, whose entire life <laughs> is a result of her uncle shagging a woman who was a professional party attendee. <laughs> and like, yeah, the players not signing for them is obviously a big thing. But do you know how else I know Rangers aren't a bigger club? Because Steven Gerrard left Rangers to take the Aston Villa job. <laughs> yeah, a no-brainer decision as well. Um, like, I, I, honestly, but you just, just think about that for a second. Ollie Watkins is flying for Villa. <laughs> Rangers knocks on his door. <laughs> how is he going to say no? Like, like let's be honest, like, I know people will, will get upset and they might throw some shade now, but... Do you think nobody, there's absolutely nobody out there who believes that Ollie Watkins' head would be turned by Rangers knocking on his door? No, like maybe 25 years ago, there was a bit of a pull whenever Celtic and Rangers could win a game or two in the Champions League. But nobody is going to Celtic and Rangers now to not qualify for the Champions League. <laughs> like nobody is going to Rangers to get knocked out of the third qualifying round by Malmo. Like yeah. that's Ollie Watkins isn't giving up his career in the Premier League for that. Third, what's up, Winch? He's only won one title out of nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't. But also, don't don't forget, it was just a title in Scotland. It's it's a two horse race, big deal. And this is the sort of tripe people love to throw around. Yeah. Henrik Larson used to get a two. Yeah, he scored 53 goals, but it was in Scotland. Yes, it was in Scotland. And I would expect a top-class centre-forward to score 53 goals there. How many do you need him to fucking score? <laughs> Messi Messi didn't score a hat-trick every other game he played against Ebar because Ebar was shite. It was because Ebar was shite and Messi was brilliant. 
I mean, the criticism would make a lot more sense if Jared had taken over from Brendan Rodgers and won the title with Celtic. But that's not what happened. He took over a team that finished third and improved them every year. Rangers lost six games in his first year and finished second. They lost four games in his second year and finished second. They then went the whole season unbeaten, winning 32 games and obviously then winning the league. That's not just winning the league in a two-horse race. He took a team from third in the table to win in the title, and he won that title unbeaten. That's what I would expect a top manager to do. Like That's Henrik Larsson doping. That's scoring 53 goals a season, every season. Yeah. That's scoring a hat-trick in every fucking classical. <laughs> yeah, like that's, you know, like Brendan Rodgers' record up there was brilliant as well because he's a good manager and he's come down now and proven, continued to prove that he's a good manager. The way he was proving that before he went up there as well. Um, do you know how many titles Rangers won the 10 years before they won the league last year? None. 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 Well, sorry, they won the fourth tier, they won the third tier, and they won the second tier. I don't know if that counts in reality. It shows where they're coming from. They haven't won anything since the Scottish League Cup in 2010-11. Like, that's how many titles. That, that's what Steven Gerrard was working with. He went up and won the league. And, like, to be honest, you see when Steven Gerrard went up to Rangers as his first senior job, I thought, what a fucking balloon. Like, what is he... <laughs> what is he doing? Because there's so much expectation there. And I thought it was an impossible job. Like Celtic would go on to win nine titles in a row. They were flying Rangers on a new club, essentially. And like I, I thought like, did this, did, like, he cannot win up there. People are going to demand that he wins the league. And if he doesn't, he's a failure because this is the biggest contradiction. Like not only does Steven Gerrard go on and win the league, but <laughs> the people who pretend that moving to Villa is a step down also are the ones who say, if you don't win the Scottish League, you're shite because it's an easy league. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is absolutely glaring in its obviousness, isn't it? I mean, you touched on something there as well. He did all that with immense pressure on him. Like, expectation levels through the fucking roof. Like that tells you something about his character as well. It tells you something. It tells you that there's something to be excited about there. He won the title, winning 32 games and drawing six. I don't give a fuck what league it was in. <laughs> yeah, that sets us up nicely for our final WhatsApp wins to debunk. Um, this is probably the first and only time we will debunk WhatsApp wins. <laughs> No, in fairness, like you, you do a lot. Actually, you shit on some of my, my complaints. It's not the most difficult thing I ever have to do. <laughs> this one uh, came from a tweet from an Irish journalist, Kieran Cunningham. Couldn't help but bite at it. It, re- it reads, Given Steven Gerrard the Liverpool job after Rangers and Villa isn't a million miles away from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Cardiff and Mulder. I mean, maybe it's not a million miles away. I would argue that it's at least 990,000 miles away, though. Like, (laughs) (laughs) number one, Steven Gerrard hasn't been given the Liverpool job. So we actually don't know what job he's done at Villa just yet. So it's an absolutely pointless point to make. It's a a, a non-point, really. Um, Solskjaer. (laughs) Solskjaer went from Cardiff to Molda after trying to come from Molda to Cardiff initially. 
So he's going, <laughs> he, he went in the other direction, Cardiff to Molda. And, you know, just in case any Rangers fans are still listening, you're the Molda in this scenario. <laughs> Gerard is coming in the other direction. He's coming from his Molda, having dominated a, a better league. And he's going to Aston Villanois to do a job that we do not know what he's going to do yet. And if, like we mentioned, if he does well enough to get the Liverpool job, then he has done one hell of a job at Aston Villa. Who said this? It was Kieran Cunningham, Irish journalist. Who's he right for? The star. Ah, right, okay. <laughs> and, you're, you're trying to get me in trouble with my pals. <laughs> I didn't say anything, I just said okay. Uh, I mean, the comparisons of all, they are so, fi- so far while the market's a joke. It, the first thing to say is that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was a national hero whenever he returned to his National League. It would have been inspirational and it would have improved the team without a doubt. Steven Gerrard going to Rangers is not the same thing as that. But like most most importantly, Solskjaer won the title nine years ago. It was 2012 when he won the title. Like Football has moved on so much from then. Yeah. But the other thing is, just listen to them, two of them speak about football. Like Steven Gerrard is obsessed with football. He's really interested in the game. He's really interested in the job of the manager and improving and inspiring the players and in getting them to, to implement his overarching plan and the detail of setting up a team, giving the players instructions and patterns. He knows that if he can't do those things, he's failed. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer thinks tactics are sweets that you use to freshen your breath. Brilliant. Also, I don't know if we needed to outline this. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer replaced Jose Mourinho, who said his greatest achievement in his career was coming second with United. Gerard would theoretically, in this scenario, be replacing Jurgen Klopp and the job he's done at Liverpool. That would be different, all right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go on to category C there. In the spirit of a new manager, I've got a new category, Liam. Oh! Things Gerard needs to bin. <laughs> He's got a big job on his hands. Number one, no surprise to anybody, John McGinn's arse. He's <laughs> not going to have a fucking bin big enough, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you know, you'd, you'd like to think, as a midfielder, you know... There's a time and a place for it, John. Yeah, it looks great sometimes, but let's use it when you have to use it. Let's use it when it's not going to create a goal-scoring opportunity. But just on John McGinn, I saw he was playing as one of the two number 10s for Scotland during the week. Steven Gerrard likes two number 10s. Do you think there's a possibility of John McGinn being pushed further forward like people have always demanded that he does be for Aston Villa? I absolutely hope that he is, and and I'm sure that he will. I've always got the impression that John McGinn sometimes sees himself as a bit of a Steven Gerrard, nowhere near the same level of quality, obviously. But like, you know, if if you could get if you could get John McGinn playing in Steven Gerrard's role in the in the mid noughties, you know, that's that's exactly what John McGinn should be doing. He should he should be box to box. I don't really fancy him as a number ten. I don't think he has the guile to play up there. Although he did nutmeg someone with a back heel last night. But I just don't think that's that's the perfect position for John McGinn. But Steven Gerrard should be able to get the best out of John McGinn. 
he absolutely should be able to because John McGinn has got the tools at his disposal to be a top class midfielder. He needs to be told when to do the things that he can do. That's the biggest issue with John McGinn. He reaches for the game too often. He tries 70 yard passes too often. And I know whenever Benitez took over Liverpool, he uh he said to Stephen Gerrard, watch this lad next to you. And it was Jabi Alonso. Like, you know, he he knows when to play that pass, and that's the most important thing a midfielder can do. And we saw that last night. Midfield gets you into so much trouble. Ireland couldn't break down Luxembourg last night because Josh Cullen and Jeff Hendrick were their two centre midfielders. Yeah. You introduce someone who knows what they're doing, whose decision-making skills are spot on, and all of a sudden, you take control of the game again, and that guy can create two chances and two goals for the teammates. Yeah, Jason Knight also won the free kick that set up the first goal as well. In a th- another 3-0 win for Ireland, but we might mention them later because... That's what Stephen Kenny's doing. He's working his way into this podcast every international break now. Um, it's an interesting one, yeah. Like I, w- I would be interested. The only thing I think we're working against, John McGinn being pushed further forward at the minute, is that Villa have an abundance of attacking midfielders and very, very, very few midfielders. <laughs> um, but I th- I'd like, I think Stephen Gerrard, of all people, will, will spot that quicker and be a bit more demanding in getting a few midfielders on board. Well, like, yeah, depending on the overarching shape of the team, I just would be very surprised if Jared ends up dicking around with John McGinn as his dog in a two-man midfield. That just I just cannot see how a centre midfielder, the best centre midfielder in the Premier League for the last 15 years anyway, could possibly think that John McGinn can play in that role. And if he can, then winning the title unbeaten will be the second greatest achievement Jared has ever had. <laughs> Second thing Gerard needs to bin the picture of the Queen that you mentioned. I just like you know, I I if <laughs> anybody hasn't seen the documentary of Stephen Gerrard's time at Rangers, like and there's a there's a brilliant video going around of it now, at least the one thing I'll say about Stephen Gerrard when he first sees that picture of the Queen in the changing room, he immediately turns around to look at his mate behind the camera and realizes the camera's on him and he just quickly looks away again but it's obvious that he's thinking what the fuck is going on here like you know what i i initially i was thinking hey, how many british players are really playing for rangers like you know do any of them really care and then i forgot stephen gerrard is english <laughs> like, you know, so when you actually take somebody from outside that world you almost forget that this man is living in England where the, the Queen has jurisdiction. But he also, believe it or not, thinks that this is apeshit having a picture of the Queen on a <laughs> professional football team's wall. And you know what, Conan? He's right. And that's what I'm talking about, decision-making. He can see that picture of the Queen and realise it was fucking apeshit. <laughs> but, like, that's it. Like, before... He's already taken over, so this is pointless. But I was going to say, before he takes over Villa, I want assurances that he actually did bin that picture of the Queen because I don't want to believe that he was managing there for four years with this picture hanging there all the while. <laughs> Third thing Gerard needs to bin was his contract. <laughs> there's, there's nothing really to say else about that, is there? <laughs> We're all, we're all in agreement. That, that we're all in agreement. <laughs> Fourth thing Gerard needs to be in. Tyrone Mings' is chewing gum stash. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he probably should just break Tyrone Mings' thumbs as well. Just in the and throw that into the, the mix as well. 
There's one if I if I in this new era of optimism and excitement, if I have to see Tyrone Mings under hit a back pass by thirty yards to Callum Wilson and then start chewing his chewing gum and give him the thumbs up to say it's okay, lads. <laughs> I will no longer be supporting Aston Villa. <laughs> Um, just on Mingzo, do you think there'll be a change in captain, or do you think it's it is club captain material? I do feel as much as you know we get frustrated at him, and as much as his position in the team should often be in jeopardy the way he's been playing, and we're, we've always said that when Tyrone Mings is on it, he's obviously one of our two best centre backs, but he's not always on, which is really frustrating. And maybe that's not captain material as well. I do think it's club captain material, but I don't know how much that really. Really means no. I think you. I think you're right. Then I think if he is playing, he will be the captain. But it is, and if he is playing, and for for Stephen Gerrard to change the captaincy mid season, that would be a ballsy, ballsy call. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Fourth thing, Gerrard needs to bin uh, the Villa admin who constantly gives us updates about Lovre Kalinic's international career with Croatia. <laughs> Lovre Kalinic is on the bench tonight for Croatia. <laughs> he must be getting fucking splinters in his arse at this stage. <laughs> and the fifth thing, the last, the attitude that young boys can't cut it. Here we go, Liam. Like, suddenly we got a new manager and I believe we now have a better squad because we've got so many more options that Dean Smith wasn't looking at. We've got Jaden Philogene Padesi, We've got Cameron Archer. Now, in fairness, Dean Smith gave Cameron Archer loads of chances when we have Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins. We'll hold that against him. And we've got Carney, Chuck Wemmicka. I think Gerard will accelerate these boys' careers. I mean, like you immediately shat all over your own premise there by saying that Dean Smith wouldn't give these boys a chance and then admitting that he had, in fact, given one of them a chance was just... <laughs> It doesn't make. There's no logical loop there for you now. I mean, if he was giving one of them a chance, then we just probably should suspect that perhaps Carney Chukwemeka and Jaden Philogene Bajesi weren't quite at the races this season, this early in the season, and they weren't as good as the options that he had available to him. Don't forget that Jacob Ramsey has been one of our best players this season. Jacob Ramsey has just turned 20 years old, and he's a centre midfielder. But yes, let's get excited about Gerard's ability to perhaps turn Carney Chukwemeka into a better centre midfielder because I think you're right to be excited about that he might give it a go because the midfield has been so fucking shite this year that if Gerard does pick Chukwemeka it wouldn't be remotely surprising and that injection of energy and just ignorance that a young player can have could be exactly what Villa need in their first game with Gerard as the manager I think the winner of this category, the most important thing, Gerard needs to bin. Even with Wesley's contract hanging up there, even with a picture of the Queen hanging on the wall, <laughs> even with Tyrone Mings' chewing gums, I think it's John McGinn's arse, even if he can't find a bin big enough. Like, if he can get a wheelie bin, get it in there, because the potential of John McGinn to be the John McGinn we all know and love and get excited about, to be that player every game could immediately take Villa on to another level, regardless of anything else. Yeah, I think you're right. I think John McGinn's arse just needs to go. Jared just needs to... He needs to remind John McGinn of what being a centre midfielder is, and it's not about backing it up into all our footballers' crotches. (laughs) 
We played two number 10s. The Tim Sherwood, we played two number 10s and bamboozled them award. Although it soon could be the Steven Gerrard, we played two number 10s. But I don't think Steven Gerrard will use the word bamboozled about himself like Tim Sherwood did. <laughs> um, so went through his interview, his 12-minute interview that Aston Villa put out today. Um, now, you already know that I'm a loser when it comes to this stuff. I just want to hear somebody talk the talk regardless if they can walk the walk. And I think this man, I like the cut of Steven Gerrard's jib. I think he can talk the talk. Um, so I've picked out some of my favorite quotes from the interview. Um, some ones they get excited about, and we'll, we'll decide which one was the best. First one, and it's sort of on what you were saying initially about Christian Perso, but Gerard said, look, we all know we've got the job for a reason. The form has dipped. And what I liked about that, now, actually, by the way, lovely words from Stephen Gerrard about Dean Smith, which which I really appreciated as a, as a Dean Smith lover, really respectful, coming into a new club. Getting it. He gets the club. I'm such a fucking loser. <laughs> um, but I, I do like that like, you know, Gerrard's not coming in. Well, the brief is obviously not to keep us in the Premier League. He's realising that we are, whatever, 16 for the minute. That's not good enough. And we want to be way further up the table. And that's what my job is. And I'm not going to hide away from that. Yeah, and that that is great. I mean, I'll be I'll be interested to see if he has... If he has the tactical variety that he's going to need to deliver that, I mean, the way he's going to have to play at Villa isn't the same as setting up a team to steamroll the Scottish Premier League. I mean, I think you can you can set a team up similarly with the same underpinnings, the same foundations, but with a game-to-game acceptance of who you are at the minute and who you're actually playing against. I mean, he was given a very, very clear mandate at Rangers, and that was to win the league as soon as possible. And the best way to achieve that when you're one of the best teams is to inspire, set up and instruct your teams to go out and beat the opposition. And you can think less about the opposition when that's your goal. You can really focus on yourself and think in general about how the other team might hurt you with a few specifics of their main danger. You know, watch that guy essentially. But you're mostly focusing on yourself in most of the games across the season. And that's not going to be the approach that will work at Villa. Not yet, anyway, Conan. Not yet. Yeah. Well, not yet is uh, is prescient because the second nomination, uh, Gerard's best quote, I'm going to take a bit of time to analyse and then point to where we need improving. We've got a block of six weeks and we have to work with what we have in the building. <laughs> this is a man getting ready for the transfer window. And to be honest, when Smith got sacked and people were asking me, who do you want to come in? I didn't really know who I wanted to come in. That's part of the reason why I was a bit anxious about Smith leaving. But I was like, whoever comes in, well, the only, my only qualification for the next Villa manager is somebody who says, I want money to buy a midfielder in January. I had a low <laughs> bar. I had a low bar, but Gerard gets it. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it certainly did sound like that, didn't it? Well, he knows as well that, you can't just come into a team. You can obviously improve them with the players that you have, but you're, if you want to get to a certain level, you're also going to have to bring in your own players, not just to improve the personnel's ability, but to buy players that are going to suit your philosophy. And by the end of Dean Smith's reign, it wasn't clear what those players were supposed to be doing and what it was, or what they thought they were doing and what they actually could do. Yeah. And maybe Jared's going to have to figure that out as well because he doesn't play the same way as Dean Smith. And the players don't look like they can play the way Gerard wants them to play. If I understand what Gerard wants to do, like I'm looking forward to the fact that 
if nothing else, he's going to make these cunts run. I mean, I'm viewing this as a punishment for the way they've performed over the last couple of days. I hope he comes in and looks at their stats and their bellies and says, Matt, drag that treadmill into the sauna and don't come out until you've done 10K <laughs> or or you've been dragged out after collapsing and I'm fucking neutral about the outcome. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Actually, that's probably something that stood out as well that people are picking up on. He he was given an underarm throw where he could have, you know, could have waxed lyrical about the sort of attacking manager he is. Well, A, I liked that he said, we don't have enough time to get into what he's going to do <laughs> because this is the, the depths of what he's bringing. But then he did point to, like, you know, well, like one of the priorities is sorting out the structure and being more defensively solid and talking about spaces between players and, you know, just simple, basic stuff that aren't happening at the minute. And, uh, and that actually leads on nicely to the third nomination. He said, like, he was talking about Body Heath and the and the club and like how, how the players are looked after. He said the amount of facilities and resources the players have here, it's got to be a no excuse culture. That's the word. No, that's the term. A no excuse culture. That's what Aston Villa need right now. Yeah, that's absolutely spot on. And the way the players performed was a little bit disgraceful in that first half against Southampton, to yeah. say to say the very very least. And to say a no excuse, he's including himself in that. Yeah, like he knows that that he's the one who is ultimately accountable and. Speaking words like this is the first sign of that. And that's great to hear. He He's not going to be pulling up excuses either. He has to get these fucking players playing the way he wants them to play. And that has to be successful. Yeah, and, and that's it. Like, you know, that that's how it actually came about as well, where he was talking about he has everything he needs. And, like, it's, it is the exciting thing about getting a new manager. And now, like, look, Villa, Villa's owners have been generous and ambitious anyway, like so they're always probably looking around. But I'd say a new manager doesn't take that job without assurances that he can buy a couple of players he needs in the next window. So that's that's good. And I'd say he was given those assurances, and therefore he is now saying, Well, if you give me all this, I already have everything I need at the training ground. I've got all my staff because you've taken them all within two days of approaching Rangers. I've got no excuses now, so I'm gonna give you everything I have and I'm gonna bring that forward to the players as well. The fourth quote, love this one, asked about December. Is it December 11th or whenever that game is? About Liverpool and the noise is going to be around it. He said, it's a chance to go up to Anfield and win and take maximum points. Everything I do every day will be for Aston Villa. And this might sound obvious. It might sound simple. Once again, it might sound like I really don't have high standards of what I expect in an Aston Villa manager. <laughs> But I do not forget Gerard Hullier taking Aston Villa up the Anfield, getting spanked 3-0 and waving to the Liverpool fans throughout the game as if to say, look look at me, I'm home. Here's your three points. You're welcome. <laughs> no, it's a, it is definitely a hard image to forget. And it started the, the downfall, really, of the next couple of years. <laughs> yeah, it did. That's for the moment where I was really beginning to panic about Aston Villa's future, if this was the type of character that we were employing to, to oversee our, our, to stop our decline. But Christ almighty, Stephen well, Jarrett wasn't going to say anything else. You're right to say that this might sound obvious. Because <laughs> imagine if he said anything else. Yeah, it's just going to be great to be back home, you know, bend over and let Liverpool <laughs> take the three points back. 
because they're going to have a really tight title running with Man City this year. So I just need to give them all the help that I can. <laughs> I don't want to be the difference in that title race. <laughs> you say that, but I was genuinely worried because I saw Gary McAllister rock back up at Aston Villa training. And <laughs> he was part of that Julia reign. So I thought, right, hang on, this will be interesting. Let's hit him with a Liverpool question and see what he says. Uh, last one. This is a brilliant one. Brighton are going well. They've got an exciting young manager. Stephen Gerrard's 41. <laughs> <laughs> if I love somebody who can talk to talk, I love somebody who can patronise his rivals as well. Yeah, and uh, everyone seems to have forgotten that Bright- the wheels have come off Brighton. They're up there because of the start of their season. I don't think Brighton have won in seven games. Yeah. Like, let's not get too carried away about Brighton. That's what I was saying to you at the start of the year as well. It's like, let's relax. I mean, Villa were fucking fourth at this, you know, at that stage last year as well. Yeah, Brighton went on have gone on a seven-game non-win one-in streak, and fair enough, they haven't lost a whole pile of games in there. But Jesus Christ, let's see how good Brighton actually are before we get too excited about Graham Potter. Maybe Gerard is right to patronise him. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Stephen Gerrard. You've got all your best wishes. Um, I really hope it works out, obviously. And I think it can. Based on a based on a twelve minute interview, I think I know my interviews. And uh, <laughs> that was that was a good start. Um no, lot loads of enthusiasm in there, and that'll take us on to questions we can't answer, but probably will. What planet is Dwight York living on? <laughs> Dwight York admits <laughs> Dwight York admits he didn't get a response after applying for Aston Villa job. Like, I would say that was a mercy kill. Like, what sort of response did he want? What, what was he expecting? It's like it's like one of those jokes when somebody who had a good career in football manager applies for the job. <laughs> I don't know what you mean, Connie. He was the assistant manager of Trinidad and Tobago for <laughs> nine months, 12 years ago. He wants to be given a go at managing Aston Villa. Give me a shot at it. Like you might as well let a retired receptionist who provided maternity cover on the desk of a hospital perform open heart surgery. Like, like I'm not attaching any greater importance to either of those jobs. I'm saying they're so tentatively related that we need to be concerned about the White York's mental state. <laughs> uh, like honestly, I pulled up his Wikipedia page expecting to see a couple of shit jobs that he had done. You know, for a very short amount of time. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He doesn't have a team's managed category on Wikipedia. <laughs> I have to say at this point in time, although I have a fantastic relationship with Wes, I still haven't been able to get a response. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Dwight York has got a really low bar for what he thinks a fantastic relationship is. <laughs> you just like to be acknowledged, but you're not even getting that. I have to be realistic, yeah. And be real to myself, understanding the challenge I face as an individual getting in. It's not going to be as straightforward as some people have it. No, I don't know if anybody goes straight into an Aston Village job. And that's a fact. I have to look elsewhere. Yeah, yes, do that. And try to get some managerial experience. <laughs> he retired 13 years ago. This would make sense if he was whinging. It wouldn't make sense, really. But if he was whinging about leaving Sunderland or wherever he retired at and not being able to get a manager's job that he applied for, I would have a little bit of sympathy for him. I would still rip him to shreds for thinking being a professional footballer and being a professional football manager 
are the same job. But it was 13 years ago since he retired. He hasn't done anything since. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Uh, fair play to him. Second one. Do people still actually believe that John Terry wants to be a football manager? <laughs> I, I respect John Terry's life. I, I grew to love John Terry just bringing a bit of banter to the Aston Villa changing room. Like I, I, I thought he was comfortable in knowing who he was and what his role was in life. I do not think John Terry is somebody who wants a manager job. And if anybody needed any more proof... He's joined Twitter. Just have a look at his Twitter account. He's he's making innuendos about shagging people's wives. Of course, like it's, of course, it's par for the course. Um, he's playing a lot of golf. Speaking of par for the course, he's calling some people's wives pigs using the pig emoji. He's um, it's <laughs> it's hitting people up now. There are some footballers. I think Trent Alexander Arnold's the biggest profile one I saw being sponsored to to push these NFTs, these digital currency. If you're not aware, um, you know like. Obviously, it's just an automatic tweet that their people have put out. John Terry, no, no. John Terry is out there engaging with the community, looking to learn more about it. It's like talking to Joe Soap about what he can find out about <laughs> NFT. The fuck, a, a football manager. He was one of the favourites for the village job. Dwight York was ahead of John Terry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're going to have to assume that there's been some sort of a technological issue with Tinder. Like if John Terry spent so much time on Twitter here. Seeing as he's got no teammates at the minute, he's also got no teammates' wives to shag, so he's obviously at a fucking loose end. (laughs) This lad is so far from being a football manager, it's unbelievable. You said he was making innuendos about shagging people's wives. He was saying, I shagged your wife. (laughs) I remember you made an innuendo about John Terry one time, and I thought, like, you know, we don't need to be that crass. Like, you know, that's, that's... John Terry's private life. It's not. It's very public. It's all over Twitter. <laughs> yeah, last one. Um, does does Harry Maguire think scoring a free header against Albania proves anything? <laughs> yeah, there's nothing quite like a big centre half under pressure and constant criticism for his atrocious defending. Proving his doubters wrong by scoring a goal. You know, that's, that's the kind of redemption story that keeps me coming back to football. Can you imagine the reaction I'd give Ollie Watkins if he was on a 10-game goal drought and he put in a goal-saving tackle and stuck his fingers in his ears? Like, fuck me. And if you're not listening, Harry, then what are you blocking out? The celebration doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But more importantly, if you're not listening, Harry, you probably should fucking start because you're an absolute shambles. Start listening to people. Start learning how to be a fucking defender. For somebody who doesn't listen to the noise, apparently, he spends an awful lot of time apologizing on Twitter. <laughs> um, and you're so right. Like, you know, there was never an issue with Harry Maguire's head. Like, you know, we all, <laughs> throughout it all, Harry Maguire's head remained. Like, we all appreciated it, this slab-esque quality of it. Like, in the the hard age of it. Like you can always rifle a header either direction away from the goals or into the goals. And like it would have been more justified if he for once didn't get nutmegged or for once controlled the ball or for once wasn't completely out of position. And then he ran away in celebration with his fingers in his ears. But 
But the saddest thing about it all is that I actually would have respected him a bit more. If, uh, it was going to be sad either way. But if he had have had any bit of conviction, like minutes later, like straight after the game, he's asked about it and he couldn't even stand over it. He, 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 he denied it. He said he was celebrating scoring a goal for England, which is always an honour. He, he couldn't even couldn't even stomach the courage to say, yeah, you all thought I was shite and now look at me. Like, like I would have respected him more if he had stood over and had a bit of conviction. Yeah, he's standing over that with all the conviction. He stands over a ball. He's got caught between his feet. <laughs> you know, um, England put up a like England social media is always on fire now because you know, and it's, it's it's unfortunate when you're not from England to see how likable a lot of their players now are and how much love a lot of their players have, especially amongst the English public and. I couldn't believe. I just saw this post go up. Didn't even see what it was. And he spot a ratio now before he spot the post. And <laughs> I, I couldn't believe. Like, you know, Jesus, this, this, this England post is getting ratioed. What, what's happened? What have they done? And um, it was a game of rock, paper, scissors. And the loser got lifted up. So this is why it was getting ratioed. It was four players. And of course... Of course, of course, there was these four players. It was the four gimps. This is why it was getting ratioed. It was Jordan Pickford. It was Harry Maguire. It was Walker and Stones. It couldn't have been any other players. It was those four playing rock, paper, scissors, and the winner gets picked up. Gets picked up? Sorry, the loser gets picked up. I got that completely wrong. Just into the air. Did you get picked up? Yeah. Jesus Christ, lad, you're millionaires. Think of a different way to have a bit of fun. <laughs> Whatever happened to just kicking a ball to somebody's arse? Like, just, just put them up against the wall and kick the ball at them. <laughs> yeah, they got, of course, like, like, you know, anything Declan Rice does goes on fire. Anything Jack Reilly's does, people's knees go weak. Like, it's just, it's fodder. Like, they're, they're fishing with dynamite, this, this England social media team. But I'd say fish a bit less when you've got Pickford and Harry Maguire in front of you. And... <laughs> I'd say just turn the camera off if they're saying, here, turn this on and we'll play rock, paper, scissors and then we'll pick somebody up. <laughs> like, good idea, lads, but like, you know, I'm going to take this in a different direction. I'm going to go over and chat to Declan and see what he's got up his sleeve. Do you know that Gary Neville has been going headlong into criticising players for having social media managers? I'm starting to think that maybe that is a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, except when Bruno Fernandes tweets an Arsenal training picture uh, after losing five 0 to Liverpool with the with the caption "Happy vibes." <laughs> um, that's that's when it's a bad idea. Only other thing is not even a question. This is a demand, and I've said this to you in June when the summer transfer window is open. Aston Villa must sign Jason Knight, twenty years of age. He's a Derby captain. He is the most exciting player that Ireland have had in a long time. He came back from injury after Wayne Rooney injured him, so you know how much he wound him up in training. Wayne Rooney put him out for three months, his own captain. And, um, yeah, came back and he just turned the game for Ireland. You might say only against Luxembourg, the Ireland team isn't good. Jason Knight is a big difference. He's quality. He can play midfield. He can play attacking midfield. He's played on the wing. He's got a bit about him, and I would love Stephen Gerrard to sign him. Yeah, the, the, the 
Jason Light absolutely changed the game, and I had forgotten about the the free kick that he won as well. But those two goals that I referenced, it's just it's just the magic that you want to see in a player of that age, is whether or not they've got good decision making skills. Because players of that age, they've all got the technical skills, they've all got the courage to go burst and pass players, they've all got the courage to try absolutely preposterous things with the ball. But whenever you are able to have that calmness and that coolness of head, because he was through on goal for both of these. So yeah. easy just to smash those at the keeper's stomach because the angles were terrible. And most players would, regardless of their age. But a 20-year-old almost certainly does. But for Jason Knight to have that bit of composure, it was magic. Whether or not Villa should sign him, though, I mean, he's very yeah. similar in style <laughs> to Jacob Ramsey, who's a few months younger than him. And I'm just not sure if our energies are best spent going after Jason Knight. Jacob Ramsey did win player of the match for the England under-21s as well in the same week. So maybe I'll just cool it for now. Welcome aboard, Stephen Gerrard. Here we go. We've got a new dawn. We go again. Oh, I didn't actually plan that. I didn't plan that. That's a Stephen Gerrard term, obviously, for the uninitiated. Uh, we'll see after the Brighton game. Hopefully it's good news. Hopefully it's going to be exciting. We know one thing. We're going to have loads to talk about. Thanks for putting us under pressure to do a podcast. Here you go. Take it. Enjoy it. And we'll see you at the weekend. All the best. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.